right here in Silicon Valley. It's cool to be here. You hear about this place, and then you're, actually you're here. So that's kind of nice, isn't it? <laughs> Famous around the world. Uh, so, uh, but of course, the, uh, what is really important is not so much where you are or the people. People are pretty much the same everywhere, travel around the world. Uh, so what matters is kind of the, the Dhamma that is available. And it's kind of nice to see that, uh, you know, wherever you travel around the world, uh, there's an interest in these uh, profound and beautiful teachings of the Buddha. And uh, so today we're going to focus on uh, kind of how to uh, deal with uh, the problems in the world uh, from a Buddhist perspective. Uh, this is the idea of the title for today's talk. Yeah, what was the title again? Uh, it was uh, about uh, something about the Buddhist, uh, how to kind of look at the, the problems of the world and how to do that in a skillful way uh, so as to, you know, kind of uh, uh, deal with it in a way that... Um, kind of leads to growth rather than to decline, leads to more solutions rather than more problems in our life. Uh, this is going to be what this is uh, really about. Uh, does that sound all right? Uh, yeah, everyone happy with that? It's a bit too late to turn around now, but anyway, <laughs> see what happens. Uh, so uh, that is kind of the, uh, the, uh, the background for this. Uh, and uh, it is uh, kind of fascinating right now in the world. There seems to be so many kind of issues and so many things everywhere coming together at the same time. Uh, we have like the big things like climate change happening. Uh, uh, we have, you know, we have all the, the political turmoil around the world. Uh, we have the sable rattling between the kind of the large nations, again, kind of China and the U.S. kind of trying to sort of see who is the, who's the toughest guy <laughs> or whatever. We have all the kind of problems with migration and refugees around the world. Uh, and there's so many things happening kind of in one, at one time. Of course, we just come out of a pandemic, which we can kind of still feel the after effects of the pandemic right here. So, uh, and uh, you can see that obviously one of, the, one of the consequences of having so many problems in one go is that people also feel a bit of despair. Yeah, they feel a bit of kind of, people get a bit depressed, people feel a bit sad, people are wondering what's happening with our society, where are we heading here? And I think it is natural that we should have some of those feelings when uh, uh, the world seems to be going in such a strange way. Uh, so what can we do with this from a Buddhist perspective? That's uh, kind of the... Uh, uh, the purpose of this, uh, this talk today. And what is interesting to my mind is that if we think about these things in the right way, uh, instead of being problems, uh, we can turn them around into opportunities, uh, into something which actually enhances the spiritual path, uh, makes us better human beings, uh, and maybe even enables us to, perhaps, I don't know, but <laughs> see what happens, maybe even solve some of the issues that are, uh, kind of we, are, have to, we are faced with. Uh. So, uh, that is the, uh, the plan. Um, we have quite a bit of time together. I was told uh, in the car that it would be good to kind of, I don't know if we're going to need, do we need some ground rules? Are, are there any ground rules in this place? Or is it just kind of whatever happens, happens? Is that how it works? Or <laughs> yes, yes. I, I, I think uh, what I would, uh, yes, please. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, maybe the latest one is the best one, so take, take that one. Okay, great. Yeah. yeah. We'll be breaking at about 10.30 for meal preparation. I'll come and announce that. And then meal cleanup from 11 to 12.30. And so there will be four sessions at that time. So please... 
if, if you haven't already uh, talk to me or, or Ram, we will put your food in the refrigerator so you can store them and come out and uh, warm it up. It's only one oven, so we'll take turns, so we'll start at about 11. And uh, again, finish up eating by around noon. Okay, any other questions? That work? Sounds good. Uh, sounds great. Yeah, sounds marvelous. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's, let's see how it goes. So um, I'm not gonna. I don't think I'm gonna lay down any kind of rules for today. Just enjoy yourself. I think it's important just to have a good time and to relax and to kind of you know meditation works when you relax. And if you have too many rules, then relaxation becomes hard. So, but I would uh, maybe recommend you not to talk too much uh, if you can, because usually. Meditation kind of works better if the mind is not too busy. So talk too much kind of has a often a negative impact. So just see how see how things happen and what what how things go. Huh? So um, when we, uh, I'm just going to get going. Is that all right? Let's get started. Yeah, and we can do some meditations after a while, and we kind of have a nice mix of meditation and talks and things. Uh, so one of the um, the things about you know the uh, situation in the world and how to deal with this. Uh, one of the things that I always say to people is that, uh, and I think this is actually quite profound, uh, and it's quite I think important to understand. It's a very Buddhist kind of attitude to the way the world works, uh, and that is the idea that good things happen to good people. Uh, good people can expect good outcomes. Uh, yeah, and so this is kind of to me the bottom line of how to deal with the problems of the world is basically to remember that if you want a good future, at least for yourself, uh, the planet is a different thing. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen with the planet. Often that is, often some of those issues are outside of our control anyway. There's how many? Eight billion people on this planet. Uh, each one of us is one person. We're going to have really kind of minor you know, ability to influence events. Uh, but at the very least, we can do something good for ourselves. Uh, and what is uh, kind of what is interesting, of course, that if we do something really good for ourselves, if we do things in the right way, uh, we're also going to have an impact on the people around us. Uh, certainly, the immediate people around us, like our family, our work colleagues. Uh, these are my work colleagues, by the way, over here, Venerable Santusita and Venerable Sitananda. And uh, so it, it, it kind of it spreads out, uh, and this is one of the things that I've always found in my life. Uh, it has a kind of ripple effect. Uh, if you live well, if you live with kindness, if you're generous, if you have a good heart, uh, it doesn't just affect you, it affects everyone around you. Uh, it kind of ripples out in society. Uh, and sometimes we're not really aware of that uh, properly. Uh, yeah, but I, I don't know if you have noticed in your life, I've noticed in my life, and when someone is really kind to me, uh, I want to be kind as well here. Uh, you can remember that. It has an impact on your mind. It's like, wow, they were kind to me. They said this. Uh, what a wonderful thing. And it leaves an imprint on your mind. Uh, and you take that with you. And then you are kind to the next person. Uh, and maybe hopefully they are kind to someone else, right? Uh, and small acts of kindness, just some kind speech or a kind act or a little bit of generosity. Someone very kindly offered me water. This is one act of generosity right here. Uh, so thank you. Who is responsible for this? Uh, not, you're not sure, okay. <laughs> anyway, someone is responsible for it, right? And it has a ripple effect straight away. So I'm going to take this opportunity to enjoy this act of generosity here. Mm, nice water, okay. And so it, has, it ripples out in the world. So it's not just about us. Uh, it's about kind of a larger society as well. It kind of it goes out to everyone here. Uh, 
But uh, in the end, this idea that good things happen to good people is a very fundamental kind of Buddhist idea. And of course, it has to do with the idea with kamma or karma. What do you say here? Is it kamma or karma? Karma? Karma, karma, okay. So it depends a bit on which, what language you speak, yeah? whether it's Pali or Sanskrit or whatever, but same word, yeah. And uh, the idea of uh, karma, very often in Buddhism, when we talk about karma, it is this idea that you, you do something in one life, uh, and it has a, an effect in the later life. It's kind of a very, very common idea in Buddhism. But I think more important than that uh, uh, is the way the Buddha talks about karma in the suttas. Uh, suttas are the word of the Buddha, in case you don't know. Uh, I should ask, are there any beginners here who don't know anything about Buddhism or know only a little bit? Who are, you know, only a little bit? Yeah? Okay. Good. Welcome, anyway. <laughs> that's good. It's nice to have some newcomers as well. So that's, uh, that's marvelous. So the, um, the Buddhist idea of karma, if you go to like a traditional Buddhist society, a Buddhist country, is very often this relationship between what you do now and what you're going to do in your next life, what happens to you next time around. And, uh, but the Buddha says there's three types of karma. Huh? There's the karma which kind of ripens in this very life. Yeah? Then there's the karma which ripens in your next life. Uh, and then there's karma beyond that. Uh. But I think the most important one for people, because it actually affects us right here and now, is the karma that ripens in this very life. Uh, yeah? Because that is something we can experience, something we can actually definitely enjoy. Okay, the idea of future life, there's always going to be a degree of faith and confidence involved in that. But this life is something we can relate to straight away. And the idea of karma in this very life, and this is something that you will be able to see for yourself, is that if you do an act of kindness, you tend to feel good about yourself. Yeah, have you, not, have you noticed that? If you really come from your heart, okay, I'm going to say something kind to you, you just feel good about yourself, right? It's just unavoidable. It's part, it's kind of the, and this is kind of the, the kind of, to me, the root idea of what karma is about. And of course, that feeling good about yourself and having a sense of, uh, you know, of the self-worth and all of these kind of things that are very, very important in our life. If you have no self-worth, then life becomes very difficult. Uh, so building these things up. Also, this is how this relates to also the karma in a future life or results in a future life, uh, that what you do in this life, uh, if you build up a good feeling about yourself in this life, it carries over also into the future. Uh, because we tend, to have, we tend to be habitual. The way we think, the way we are as human beings uh, tends to kind of um, uh, perpetuate itself over time. Yeah? If you look at your character, who you are as a person, uh, that character will have a certain stability to it. Uh, if I ask you who are you today compared to who you were 10 years ago, 20 years ago, you will see both change and you will also see continuity. Yeah? And that change and continuity is also what we see, uh, if you wish, across lifetimes as well. Yeah? So uh, if you want to be able to withstand, if you want to be more, um, uh, if you want to have more uh, kind of ability to uh, deal with the problems of the world, if you have that inner sense of glow, in the sense of happiness, if you build that up, uh, then the external world uh, will have less effect on you uh, and you're more able to uh, withstand that. Uh, yeah? And that is incredibly useful, right? Uh, it means that all the shocks of life and guarantee that every one of us will have more shocks than we want to have, uh, this is just the nature of existence, uh, you're able to deal with those uh, problems in the world. So building up goodness, building up kindness, uh, reminding us that this is the foundation for 
uh, being able to deal with the world, but also the foundation for the spiritual practice itself. Uh, this is really the starting point of everything here. Yeah. So, uh, and I'm sure all of you here are good people. Huh? Any bad people here? Huh? I usually <laughs> like, to, like to ask this question. Uh, yeah, I told you everyone here is a good person. I, <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, in a place like this, uh, inside meditation center, is that right? Inside meditation center, yeah? Usually people come here because they have some spiritual uh, inclination, right? I mean, it's very rare that you find gangsters coming to places like this. Uh, and if they are gangsters here, then welcome. Now you're on the right path. So <laughs> that's always good news there. So you're already on the, on the right track, and we're heading in the right direction. So you just have to sometimes, you have to kind of add a little bit more emphasis on the idea of kindness in your life. Yeah? And when you remember the importance of the spiritual life, to deal with everything in the world, all the worldly things, uh, also the spiritual things, uh, then you get the motivation to practice this path really well. Uh. So, and this is kind of the point of this. The point is, how can we use uh, the problems of the world to motivate us uh, to live even better lives? Uh, yeah? If we can do that, then it's kind of marvelous. Uh. So I'm going to tell you a couple of uh, stories that I, those of you who have heard my talks, like the Venables here, <laughs> maybe, I don't know if anyone else of you have heard some of the things I say. I'm kind of available on the internet, unfortunately, so you <laughs> sometimes may have heard these things. But uh, uh, I'm going to tell a couple of stories in my life that uh, changed my attitude to life a little bit. Yeah, I'm going to start with the simple ways of dealing with the problems of the world, uh, how we can use wise reflection to overcome these unwise times. Uh, and, uh, and then we're going to get, get, take it deeper as the, as the kind of day goes on, right? Uh, so when you kind of reach your limit, you think this is too much, uh, then you can leave. Yeah? But start easy, you can stay as long as possible. We take it deeper and deeper as we go along. And when you say, okay, this is too much, uh, I'm, I'm out of here, then please, the door is over there. You're very free to leave at any time. Uh. So the, uh, and this... Uh, First little anecdote or this first little story that I'm going to tell. This is a uh, came from a book that I read when I was at, at university. Yeah, this is a long time ago. Now I was at university. It was almost uh, getting close to 40 years ago. And uh, the girlfriend I had at the time. I don't have any girlfriends anymore, but I did in those days. <laughs> and so this girlfriend gave me a book. Right? This is kind of the, this is kind of the best kind of girlfriend. Yeah, she looks after you kind of intellectually as well as otherwise. Okay, okay here here is a book for you. I thought, okay, fine. And this book was a book about the idea of happiness. Yeah, the, um, I think the title of the book was written by a Norwegian fellow because I was living in Norway at the time. And the title of the book was something like, you know, human beings and happiness, something like that. And uh, this fellow, he wrote this book very shortly after the Second World War. Yeah, Second World War was very devastating in Europe. Uh, you, I'm sure you, you have some idea as parts of Europe were completely kind of ruined. There was nothing left, like, you know, some of the cities in Germany flattened to the ground. All that was left was rubble, basically, and nothing more. Uh, Norway was a bit on the outskirts of Europe, so not so badly affected, but still badly affected. Uh, yeah, there was food rationing. There was no clothes available. It was a difficult time for most people. Some people were sent off to the concentration camps, obviously, in Germany. Uh, the Jewish population of Norway, which was very small, but still there were some Jewish people there. Of course, they had, a, they had a much harder time, and some of them were actually sent off to the concentration camps and things like that. Uh, but also non-Jews as well were sent off to these camps. Uh, so it was difficult. Yeah, there were people dying and all of these kind of things. Uh, 
And so he wrote this book just after the Second World War. And the idea, the point that he wanted to get across in this book is that happiness is sometimes so paradoxical. During this time, he said, one of the most difficult times in Norwegian history, when things were falling apart, sometimes family members would die, there were bombings going on, all kinds of things were happening. During this most difficult time in most people's life, suddenly he realized, actually, I'm more happy now than I was before the world, before the war. Right? And he thought, how can this be? How is it possible that now everything around me, everything, I can't get as much food as I want, can't eat what I want, can't get any clothes, my house is kind of, can't get any repairment to fix up the, whatever needs to be fixed up, people are dying, and I'm more happy here. And it's almost like you don't want to say it, right? Because it's kind of, it's kind of a faux pas. You can't say you're happy when everyone is kind of, the world is kind of falling apart. It's really going against the stream, going against what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be terrible and bad. So you almost had to whisper it. Yeah, actually, you know, I'm feeling happy. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> What's happening here? And then he realized, of course, that what happens during a situation when you go to war is that your attitude to your fellow human beings changes. Yeah, prior to the war, maybe there's more competition between us. Uh, there's more arguments within the family. Kind of, we have, you know, I know that here in the U.S. you have a lot of political arguments and things like that. Yeah, I guess in those days they had it, had it too, probably. Yeah, arguing about things, uh, and there's all of these things. But suddenly, because you have an external enemy uh, that is so destructive and destroys the externalities of your life, uh, you cannot come together. Yeah, you have more compassion for each other. You start working together, for goodness sake. Yeah, that's kind of un- unusualness where we actually work together. Rather than working against each other, we start working together. You have more compassion, more sympathy for your neighbor, the neighbor who you used to not like. Suddenly you work together with that neighbor because you have a common purpose, a common cause. And it's that feeling of working together, the feeling of having compassion for each other, the feeling of understanding the people around you, Actually, that was far more important than the destruction of the external world around you. And that is so profound when you think about that. It's actually very, very profound and very kind of uplifting idea of how to look at the world. Because what it means is that the world around us is not so important for our happiness. What really matters for our happiness is the spiritual qualities that we have. That is what really matters. If you have compassion... If you have a sense of kindness for everyone around you, if you have generosity for the for the people, if you have a peaceful quality within because you're practicing meditation or whatever, that is what is important for being happy. So he could say in the midst of all the destruction, in the midst of all the problems of the world, actually, this is what matters. Now we have a degree of happiness. And so I think this is a very uplifting and very kind of promising idea how to think about life. And this is something that we can really bring into our present world as well. Yeah, To remember that in the long run, what is going to make you happy is not so much the world outside. The world outside has some impact, of course. It matters that you know the world doesn't crumble, that we're not kind of being blown up by terrorists or whatever. Of course, that is very unpleasant. But in the end, if you want to be resilient, and if you want to find something more profound, something deeper, the qualities of the mind, the spiritual you, the aspects of uh, you know the, our inner life rather than our outer life, uh, that is what really matters. Uh. 
And um, it comes to mind, as I say this, this is actually also one of the fundamental ideas of the Buddha himself. Yeah, one of the, uh, I don't know how well-versed you are in the Buddha's discourse and the Buddha's suttas, uh, but one of the most famous suttas of the Buddha is known as the Mahaparinibbana Sutta. Uh, you know, yeah, yes, you're nodding, okay, great, you are, you are a sutta junkies just like me. <laughs> Which is good, as junkies, it's okay to be a junkie if you're a junkie on the right thing, right? Sutta junkie, that's fine. Uh, so some of the things not so good, but sutta junkie is fine. Uh, so, and one of these uh, suttas, the Mahaparinibbana, so it really means kind of the, Buddha, the great passing away or the great extinguishment, maybe, uh, something like that. Uh, and it's the sutta about how the Buddha's last journey, how he travels through India from the great country of Magadha. He travels north and he ends up in a place called Kushinara, where eventually he passes away. Uh, have any of you here been to these holy places in India? Uh, no, you haven't? Okay, uh, yeah. Yes, you have. Surely, surely, is that right? I can't see very well without my glass, because my, these glasses are only, my eyesight is kind of going down the drain. So that's kind of one of the reasons I practice the spiritual life, because the, your eyes and the body, everything is kind of failing as you get older. So. Anyway, so if you haven't been to India, it's actually quite interesting. Yeah, I've been a few times, go to the holy places, the Buddhist places. It can be very inspiring if you go with the right crowd and the right people at the right time of the year and all of these kind of things. You have to be, be careful how, what you do because India can be also be a bit challenging. It's, a, you know, it's a kind of a, a very different from Silicon Valley, I'd say. <laughs> But nevertheless, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it very, it's inspiring to kind of be in the footsteps of the Buddha, so to speak. Yeah. So anyway, so the Buddha travels yeah, to the north and he knows that he is about to die. At a certain point in the sutta, he says to Venerable Ananda, who is his attendant, he says, you know, three months from now, I will be passing away. He had a very clear idea that he was coming to the end of his life. And because he knew that he was coming to the end of his life, he had to prepare people yeah, for this fact and you can imagine, if you are at that time in India, the Buddha, he's like, the, imagine the Buddha, right? This is, the, as far as I'm concerned, the greatest spiritual genius in human history. Yeah? There's no one like the Buddha in human history. You start to look at human history, the Buddha kind of stands, to me, head and shoulder above everyone else. And so here is this person, and it's a human being, right? It's not kind of some god or anything like that. It's a real flesh and blood human being here. And he's about to pass away. And imagine that if you are part of the monastic Sangha at that time, you're always looking to the Buddha for all the solutions, yeah? And sometimes I feel a bit sorry for the Buddha, because every time there's a problem, right? They go to the Buddha, oh, Buddha, you know, I, I lost my shoes. What should I do, right? <laughs> like all of these trivialities of life, they would go to the Buddha to find solutions. I feel sometimes it's kind of like that when you are in a kind of spiritual kind of, you know, or you have a bit of spiritual authority or whatever, as the Buddha obviously had. And so go to the Buddha with all of these kind of things, all the lay Buddhist at the time, yeah, they would go to the Buddha, they need a bit of inspiration, they come and listen to a talk by the Buddha, please, Master, let us, you know, give us an inspiring talk. And now, this person, this kind of one person you've been looking to for all the solutions of life, the meaning of life, the purpose of existence, all of these kind of things, he's about to pass away. Imagine how difficult that is. Yeah, it's an incredible shock to the system. I don't know you uh, about you here. I, I hear that Gil Fronsdahl is the one who kind of is the, the kind of the head of who started this community or whatever, right? Yeah, 
So imagine guilt passing away, right? Is that going to be bad? That's going to be bad, right? Now, this is kind of worse. Yeah, this is the Buddha passing away here. So you kind of the, 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 the real supreme leader of this whole community is about to pass away here. And then, Venerable Ananda, he goes to the Buddha and says that, well, you know, Master, I hope you will kind of give us some instructions because before you pass away, because we are feeling a bit lost without you. What are we going to do without you? I don't, he doesn't actually say that, but that's what I'm kind of adding to the conversation to make it more interesting here. And um, so then he, he goes, and then the Buddha says to him, he says, well, you know, haven't I told you, Ananda, and all the things in the world, everything that is compounded, everything that is conditioned, everything that has come to be because of causes and reasons, it all has to pass away, it all has to disintegrate. Haven't I told you this? And then he says to Ananda, you should find the way to find the refuge, to take the Dhamma, in other words, the teachings of the Buddha, the Dhamma and the Vinaya. The Vinaya is like the, the practice, if you like. These things you should take as your teacher after I passed away. And you should take refuge in these teachings that I have given and also in your meditation practice. It specifically says that the place of refuge is what is called the four satipatthanas, the four mindfulness meditations, or whatever, however you want to translate it. That's another interesting point. How do we translate satipatthana? We get back to that later on. So that is where you find your refuge, right? You find your refuge in the spiritual qualities, the spiritual practice. And of course, the refuge of satipatthana. What does that mean? Well, it means that things like mindfulness of breathing, yeah, breath meditation. That's really what it means. In other words, you go inwards. You go within yourself, and you uh, you sustain yourself by the spiritual qualities that you have built up over time. Yeah, by your kindness, by the well-being you feel when you close your eyes, you close the world outside off, and you just watch your breath, and you find peace, you find happiness, you find joy, you find all of those qualities within. That is what is your refuge. Yeah, the refuge is your spiritual life. That's what the Buddha says. Why? Because the external world is so unreliable. The Buddha is about to pass away who knows what's going to happen with the world around us? Yeah, it's just so uncertain. We have no idea what's going to happen. Maybe things are going to come somehow muddle through and kind of <laughs> make something out of this world, but we just have no idea. And because we have no idea, because the uncertainty is so great, we need to find our refuge somewhere else than the external world. If you look for refuge in the external world, which is what the vast majority of people do in this, in this world, then we have a problem because it's so uncertain what's going to happen with the world outside. We just don't know. It's not going to, probably not going to kind of collapse completely because somehow things tend to somehow work out one way or another, but there's always going to be some serious issues. And because we have no idea what's going to happen, it's inward that we need to go to find solution to the problems. And um, so this is why that story of this fellow in Norway during the Second World War was so interesting to me because I realized that sometimes we kind of touch, we kind of get in touch with what the Buddha was talking about almost by accident, by you know how our life unfolds, and we realize these things on our own. And um, it was interesting as well because uh, when the war in Ukraine started, yeah, there's another kind of calamity happening around the world. That was much closer to where, to where I came from originally, and it's kind of uh, interesting when these things happen. 
I was in Poland uh, recently because Poland is actually has a common border with Ukraine. I don't know if you how well you know the map of Europe, but there's a common border between Ukraine and Poland here. And so I was in Poland, and of course, when it's so close, yeah, the, the kind of the action of the war, it kind of is a bit. It's more interesting, yeah. It kind of uh, you, <laughs> you get more goosebumps when you get so close to the uh, the military action here. So. Uh, I was reading about, again, about the war in Ukraine. It was very early on when the invasion was just starting. The Russians were kind of coming in. Uh, and, of course, the journalists were still there and they're still in the country. Uh, kind of scary to be a journalist sometimes, but they are there on the front line trying to see what's going on. And one of the things they were doing is that they were interviewing some of the people. Yeah, And they were saying, of course, you know, the kind of stupid question, how do you feel about the war, <laughs> that kind of stuff, right? Or, and uh, what you would expect, of course, that people would say things, oh, this is terrible. Yeah, the war is really, really bad. Uh, yeah, my kind of my workplace has been destroyed. There's no way for me to work anymore. Uh, my family members are being killed. Uh, yeah, the uh, uh, kind of my hometown, my home is kind of has turned into rubble. Uh, and you can see why people despair when these things happen. Uh, yeah, your home getting destroyed is actually very traumatic. It's a very difficult thing to bear. And I know right here in San Francisco that is something that is kind of, this can happen any time here, right? Isn't that true? Yeah, with the kind of the earthquake zone and all these kind of things. So this is kind of, you have to be ready for your kind of your home to be destroyed at any time in this place. Same thing in Perth, which is where I live, Perth in Western Australia, because it was very, one of the most bush fire prone or forest fire prone areas in the whole world. Every year we have houses burning down, yeah, because of bushfires and these kind of things. So uh, it is very difficult to take yeah, when your home burns down. Even more difficult when your family members get killed. Yeah. And so, of course, people are despairing here. Yeah. But what was fascinating to me was that among those people who were despairing, there were a few who said, uh, you know, I, again, I'm not sure if I dare to say this, but I feel more happy now. Life has become more meaningful to me after the war started. And it was exactly the same reason why this fellow in Norway was saying that, you know, during the Second World War we were more happy. It's exactly the same reason. We have more compassion. We're more understanding for each other. We've worked together, which we never did before. And that kind of has changed our something within us. It's been like a spiritual awakening inside of us. And that is much more important to me as a person, I would say, than whether the external world is kind of collapsing or whatever. And again, it shows the same thing here. The idea of the importance of the spiritual path, the importance of what we do with our inner life, with our mental life, compared to the world outside us, the external world outside us. And this, to me, is like the, the most important lesson from the problems in the world, all the things that we see around us, all the issues that come is that we need to turn away from the refuge in the external world, uh, holding on, hoping the external world will be okay. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. We don't know what's going to happen. And we need to find that refuge inside instead, the refuge in the spiritual practice, uh, the refuge on the spiritual path. That is what really matters. Uh, and if, this, if the external things in the world are able to turn us around in this way, yeah, are able to kind of shift our perspective on what really matters in life, then maybe for some of us it's going to be for the good. Maybe for some of us it's going to be something uplifting, something which makes a deep impact within us, which actually is going to be a very long-term benefit for us. 
And if that is what happens, then it's marvelous. And this is the right way, to me, of thinking about uh, these problems in the world. Uh, because if we do that, we can turn a calamity into something beneficial, uh, something really problematic into a blessing in disguise. Uh, and uh, then uh, something kind of awakens up. And if we become better within ourselves in this way, again, as I mentioned before, it's going to have this ripple effect around us. Uh, we're going to touch other people in the same way. They too will start to see the world in a new way because we are kind. They're going to feel there's light in the world. There's possibilities in the world. Something beautiful is starting to happen in this way. Uh, and uh, so this is uh, really the uh, kind of, to me, the spiritual solution, if you like, to the problems of the world. Uh, some people say, that's not really a solution. We want to change the world. We want to have our cake and eat it. We want the world to be good. And we want the spiritual path, right? That's how people usually think about things. But maybe there is no solution in the world. Yeah, maybe that kind of sounds nice on paper. You want to find a solution there. But maybe that is just an illusion. That somehow we always have to make progress. We're always going to, you know, there are solutions to every problem. Maybe that's not the case. And if that isn't the case, then maybe we need to look at things in a new way here. And this is really where the Buddha comes in, because he allows us to find a different kind of solution, a more personal solution, if you like, rather than a solution in society itself. So, um, I hope you are with me so far. I'm glad no one has left yet. <laughs> Always uncertain what's going to happen when they give this kind of talk. People think, oh, this guy's nuts. You know, we want to find solutions to these things. So I'm glad you don't think I'm nuts already. I'm very, very happy with that. Um, but um, I'm going to stop there because I don't think it's good to talk too much. And uh, I'm going to, we're going to maybe, it's important to do some meditation together as well. So we do some meditation together. And I'm going to kind of give a little bit of guidance as we go along just to. Uh, get us going, and nothing, I'm not going to talk too much, uh, but a little bit just to kind of get us started. Uh. So um, let us do maybe half an hour of meditation. I think half an hour sounds good. Uh. Is that uh, kind of acceptable? Yeah? All right. Uh.